on. What is up? We are back Thursday matinee edition. Good afternoon, America. Good morning to you on the far West Coast. I am your host, Randy Hammond. This is Football Life Presents the Audible, episode 91. And we have a special episode for you today. Matt Bushnell is here, but he is fighting through something our country has gone through for nearly two years now. It finally got him. Matt Bushnell, how are you holding up there, my friend? Oh, uh, you know, Randy, I'm, I'm fighting the good fight. You know, and trying to show America that, gosh, Dan, if Matt Bushnell can do it, we can do it too, damn it. <laughs> you can hear it in his voice. He's battling the Rona, but, uh, you know, hopefully it's the next step of us getting out of this thing. So, for the record, me and Henry are on the leaderboard already doing podcasts with the Rona in the past. So, Henry, I think, has three episodes under his belt. I officially did two. So, welcome to the club here uh, with the Rona broadcast team. Uh, <laughs> so, at least you seem like you're you're doing okay. So, that's good good news. Um, but it is episode 91, Matt Bush and all. And I'll start us off here because 91 is a great number. Uh, it's the year in which I was born. Uh, as you all know, we documented my 30th birthday just a couple weeks ago, but it's also the number of a giant favorite ring of honor guy, Justin Tuck, two-time Super Bowl champion, one of my all-time favorite players, one of Vince Burke and Daddy's all-time favorite players and a catalyst to why the Giants teams won those uh, Super Bowls. So 91 will always hold a special place in my heart for a number of reasons. And Justin Tuck's a big reason why. Yeah. Um, great player two Super Bowl victories, maybe the catalyst for both of them when you look back on it. Um, For me, it's the late, great Kevin Green. Um, Watching him with those Pittsburgh Steelers teams with Bill Cowher, then he went to the Panthers. And then the hated rivals, the Green Bay Packers. Damn them. But what a great player. Fantastic man, fantastic player. Rest in peace. I always remember the long flowing uh, blonde hair from that guy. A very memorable player. Um, so great, great choice there too. You can't go wrong with that. All right. Well, we have a ton to talk about in the show. Super wild card weekend, just 48 hours away. Super jacked up to watch some playoff football, Matt Bushnell. But before we get to that, we have some things to talk about. We have some news. We have some awards to give out. So let's get right into it. The top story here and after the show on Tuesday of course, I suspected something was up, and it, it was. Finally, the Giants have fired Joe Judge after two seasons. He is the third consecutive coach the Giants have fired after two years on the job. Judge, Pat Shermer, and Ben McAdoo, all after they released Tom Coughlin back in 2015. Um, I felt like the Giants were in a position where they had no choice but to do this. Uh, it came out a month ago that they were committed to Joe Judge, and he was going to be back in 2022. But the last three weeks, I don't think has ever gone worse for a coach with job security quite like it had for Joe Judge. He not only did not play a single snap of competitive football, they did not have a lead at all, any point in any of the last four weeks of the season. They were getting absolutely dominated by teams that are not even that good. Um, and then you talk about uh, on-field coaching decisions. That's one thing. The, the quarterback sneak on your own five-yard line. That's an abomination. Um, and then I think the, really what did him in was the press conferences, specifically the one where he calls out Ron Rivera and the Washington football team getting into fights on the sideline, calling out his predecessor, Pat Shermer. Look, you can have these conversations behind closed doors, but these are things you should keep private. This is not how you run an organization. These are not things that you speak out loud. It's just not professional. And ultimately, the Giants, as much as they are dysfunctional, they do uh, they, they want you to be as professional and as, as a leader as you possibly can be. And I think Judge really shot himself in the foot in the last few weeks because, by all accounts, he had his job safe. And here we are. And I, I think the Giants did the right thing. And they're going to do a complete teardown and rebuild. And I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that because I did not think they were going to do it. Maris press conference left a lot to be desired, but he also said some uh, some of the right things. I thought they're going to hire a GM from outside of the organization and they are going to let them hire the head coach. I think that is super, super important because they have not had that since they've had Tom Coughlin. So perhaps a new era for the New York Giants. I'm very excited. I am a little I'm, I'm tempering my expectations, but for the first time in a while, I do think that there is a light to get out of this. Yeah, I find it <clears throat> puzzling that it took as long as it did with everybody seeing that, you know, this is just, that's not good. And even Mara, you could tell he was conflicted because he still thinks there's a good head coach in Joe judge. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't see it. You know, the the way he handled his players, the way he handled the media, just everything about him just reeked unprofessional a lot. Josh, a lot Josh McDaniels with the Broncos. Mm -hmm. So I take a look at that situation and then, 
I, I guess to me, I parallel this to the Bears so much because it really feels like there's a lot of intertwined stories here. Uh, Mara and McCaskey get a lot of their advice from each other. Um, George often reaches out to John about things going on in the league, um, names and everything. So the, the, those two are pretty well paired together. And it kind of shows how these organizations are run, which is haphazard, um, short-sighted, and really lacking an in-depth football department where football people run the football side of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't speak for the Giants, Randy, because I just don't know. Do, do they have a president of football operations in that building? Yeah, it's uh, Mara's brother, <laughs> Chris Mara. <laughs> It is the definition of a family-run business. So uh, you need you need a fresh voice in there. Ultimately, it's like running the country. You can't just have yes men and t- people who tell you what you want to hear. Uh, you need people to steer you in the right direction. You can have your beliefs, but ultimately they might not be correct. So John Mara has that flaw, and uh, the Giants in general have that flaw. And there is a connection between them and the Bears in that aspect, where it is a family-run business, and they're ha- it's hard to, to get out of that. You're not firing family. You're just not doing it. Um, I do wish they were just in an ownership role and didn't have any player personnel decisions or any sort of decisions on who to hire and when. Uh, but ultimately, I don't have that choice. And you see it with the Steinbrenners, with the Yankees. Like, Brian Cashman essentially is a Steinbrenner. They're never going to really fire him unless things got really bad. Um, and when you have these family-run businesses, they kind of do things a certain way. And when there has been winning in the past, they don't really feel like they do a lot of things wrong. So this is sort of an uncharted territory for Mara, uh, for this Mara anyway, and, and the Giants. I mean, this is a, you know probably the second worst era of Giants football that ever existed. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wish both organizations would be good because I think it'd be good for the NFL. And, and I think that starts with hiring real football people. And sometimes finding those real football people are not easy. Um, you know, I kind of feel like where do we rank the desirability of head coach of the Giants? I mean, it, it's New York. It's the Giants. So it carries a lot of appeal just with that. And being on top, there's only 32 of these jobs in the NFL. So they're highly coveted. I think the Giants – go ahead, Randy. I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say, if, if you're walking into a situation, we said with the GM, where you're handed a head coach and a quarterback, it's obviously a less desirable job. Now yeah. you're walking into a clean state, a clean slate, assume, uh, assuming you have all reign to do whatever it is that you want to do, hire your own staff, um, get rid of whatever players you want to get rid of, draft whatever players you want to get rid of, uh, whatever you, players you want. You have two top 10 picks. I mean, by doing these two decisions, I think the job has become much more desirable because it's not like, I know you don't have a quarterback right now, uh, at least Daniel Jones, I'm not convinced is a, is a you know franchise quarterback. There are options out there. You talk about Russell Wilson. You talk about you know I hate to say it, but maybe Jimmy Garoppolo becomes available. I'm not saying he is the long term solution, but maybe a stopgap until you can draft somebody. There are uh, options where you can start to um, develop some sort of, I hate to use the word culture because the Giants have been shoving that word down our throats for five years, but some sort of uh, process that actually works. Because right now the Giants are just throwing shit at the wall and hopefully hoping that it sticks and it hasn't done that. So at least this could lead to something. That's why I think it could be desirable because winning in New York is special. I think people understand that and everyone wants to be a part of that. Yeah, look, I can't take away like – Pittsburgh to me is an iconic job. You know, coaches want to go to Pittsburgh. You know, coaches want to go to Chicago. Coaches want to go to Green Bay. Um, You know, I I think New York carries a lot of that. Philadelphia, I think, carries a lot of prestige with it. Dallas is one of, you know, but people would fight over that job. So, you know, there's those marquee jobs. And when they become available, people are going to be interested. To me, I I think it's a good thing. I, I absolutely agree with you. Start with a clean slate, let a GM choose his own guy. And that, that's the right move, in my opinion. You know, like, I, I think the GM has to have a significant voice. Kind of like, I, this is the approach the Bears are taking, where they're interviewing head coaches and GMs at the same time. I don't have an issue if you bring in a guy like a Sean Payton or a Jim Harbaugh or a Mike Tomlin Hire that guy first, and then whoever the fuck he wants, you just give it to him at that yeah. point. Be, 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 because those are big, big name coaches that have a lot of pedigree in this business. Yeah. Now, if you're hiring a guy like 
you know, a Brian Dayball or a Leslie Frazier or, you know, so some of the other guys out there, there's a lot. Brian, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles. I, I, I want my GM to make that decision. Right. But, but if you're bringing in a home run, absolutely, you know, you let him choose who he wants yep. to work with. Yeah, and in this case, I think I would like the Giants to hire someone with actual head coach experience because mm-hmm. um, Judge obviously was a, was a special teams coordinator. And, uh, you know, really the one guy I think of that panned out was John Harbaugh that, that did that. Um, and Pat Shermer is, you know, I would say a really good coordinator, but, you know, never really panned out as a head coach. And then Ben McAdoo was hired mainly because so he didn't uh, the Eagles didn't take him away and he really did run a good offense with Eli the two years prior to that. So I think I want a guy with experience. Um, I think what the Mets did and not to do a life group crossover here, but the Mets hired Buck Showalter because he's not learning on the job. Ultimately, he knows what he's doing in that clubhouse. Now, he might not lead you to a World Series, but at least he knows in theory what he's doing with a bunch of young guys. So if he can can, you know, at least establish something for the next guy that that's great. But when you're rebuilding, in my opinion, you can't have a guy be learning how to be a head coach on the job. So I would like a guy who has been established, who has coached already, has gotten the job done. Now, whether that's Brian Flores or, um, you know, maybe I don't love Todd Bowles, but he coached in New York in the same building already. He did that. Um, Maybe it's a Jim Caldwell who all things considered did a great job with the Detroit Lions. So there are guys out there who have been established, who have done a good job with worse organizations than the Giants. And I just kind of hope that they get the right guy. Hiring the right GM obviously comes first and that remains to be seen. Now, if you're a Giants fan, I want you to temper your expectations because they're not going to be good next year. They might not be good the year after, but you have to be patient because the last five years have been an absolute mess and they've gone in the wrong direction every single time they tried to make a change. This time it feels like they're actually trying to do it the right way and it's going to take time. Now to wrap a bow on the Joe Judge conversation, Matt Bushnell, look, the guy was never (laughs) something I really totally bought into. And to be completely honest with you, I think he's in his heart, like as a person, he's probably a good guy. Um, But when you're hired to be a Giants head coach was Dave Gettleman as your general manager, you are set up to fail. Ultimately, Pat Shermer was set up to fail because he was handcuffed with Eli Manning and Dave Gettleman. And then Joe Judge was hired to clean up the mess, also paired with Dave Gettleman. So uh, as much as I want to hate Joe Judge, I also have the perspective of a lot of our problems are because of Dave Gettleman was the one making the decisions and John Merritt was the one enabling him to do so. So the problems are deeper than Joe Judge, but ultimately he didn't do a good enough job to warrant keeping his job. 10 and 23 the last two years. I'm sorry. It just wasn't good enough. And I, I agree with the decision. So Matt, uh, I'm happy with that news, as you could tell. <laughs> um, and I, I'm excited to see what the Giants do. We're going to talk about all the hires as they go on. Um, probably won't be for a week or so. But the other surprising news, in my opinion, that came out uh, yesterday um, I forgot this guy existed completely, to be honest with you, but Eric Weddle <laughs> just unretired out of nowhere. Um, I think he retired two years ago, um, and now he is joining the Rams for their playoff run, and he was most recently with the Rams. Um, so I, they had an injury to safety Jordan Fuller, so I think this fills a hole for them that they needed. I don't know what Weddle gives to them. Uh, I don't know what he's got left in the tank. I remember thinking he was kind of cooked at the end of his run anyway. So at the very least, maybe it's a bet to have on your defense, which could be nice. Um, But this doesn't really change my my thought on the Rams going into this postseason. No, I mean, I'm not sure what kind of impact Eric Weddle can have on this Rams defense with having so many holes already there. To me, I think what the Rams need to do is stop turning the ball over. Um, you know, if, if they're able to stop turning the ball over, that's going to help their defense immensely where they don't have to be in bad spots. Yeah. So to, to me, that's the bigger news. Like Eric Weddle, to me, I, he's just a non-factor. Yeah, I was just surprised to see the name. Uh, I don't know if I ever remember a guy <laughs> retiring right before the postseason. And, uh, you know, here we are. So we're going to talk about the Rams in, in just a little bit in their, their playoff matchup on Monday night. Uh, but before we get into the Super Wild Card weekend, we're going to have a little fun. Now, we were originally going to do this on Tuesday. We decided on the fly that the show was a little too jam-packed. Now we're going to give out some regular season awards. Just wrap up the 2021 season, put, a, put it on a bow on it, and then just move on to the postseason. So let's give out some awards. We do these preseason predictions every year, Matt Bushnell. Now let's kind of – I don't remember what I said for all of these. I think I remember most. But 
Now let's give them out. We know what happened in the regular season. Now let's give out the awards before uh, any of our opinions can be soiled by any performances in the postseason, <laughs> uh, because I think that's the flaw in giving out the awards when they do. Anyway, all right, let's start off right with the big one. The most valuable player of the NFL, Aaron Rodgers, is coming off of an MVP season in 2020. He had another incredible season to back it up in 2021. Um, I thought all season long Aaron Rodgers was going to be the MVP, but – but, but, but I am going to put myself in the thought process of the voters. And I think, I really do think they are going to hold this Vax thing against him. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's necessarily fair. But Rodgers, statistically, is not on the same level as some of the other quarterbacks. And for that reason, I think at age 44, Tom Brady is going to win the Most Valuable Player Award. As I want to read you his statistics. I know there's an extra game this year, but 67.5 completion percentage, 5,300 passing yards, unbelievable, 43 touchdowns and 12 picks. The Bucs are the two seed in the playoffs. So, hey, I know it's probably not ideal for Tampa that they're not the one seed, but Tom Brady at 44 still doing incredible things, and I think he's going to win MVP again. You know, my preseason MVP was Tom Brady, and – I am going to go Tom Brady again. This is my most valuable player award. I don't care what the media does. It's mine. I'm going to give it to Brady. You know, I didn't expect to say Brady. I really thought I was going to come out here and say Rodgers. I looked at the numbers and I was underwhelmed. Uh, I expected him to be more on Brady's level, but passing yards, he is just around 4,000. He only has 37 touchdown passes. What's always been impressive with Rodgers is the touchdown interception rate. He only has four picks. Um, I mean, look, we know the value of Aaron Rodgers. We saw it when he missed a game, but truly we don't know the value of Tom Brady because he doesn't miss games. He didn't miss any games to show us the, the gap between him and Blaine Gabbert, but I promise you it's massive. And it's not like the Bucks didn't have any dysfunction. Uh, Antonio Brown just happened two weeks ago. That's a big mess. Chris Godwin got hurt. Um, I, I feel like uh, time and time again, someone on the Bucks is getting injured and yet Tom Brady still finds a way to figure it out. So um, I know that they got shut up by the Saints. I know there's been parts of the season they've been disappointing, but I think Brady at 44, I, I, I don't even know how it's possible, but he's, he's really raising the bar for older players. Okay. We both agree. Most valuable player. Uh, offensive player of the year. This is where I think you can get into the argument that people were trying to have a few weeks ago where it's Jonathan Taylor or Cooper cup. Um, I think you maybe throw in uh, Jonathan Taylor or Justin Jefferson. Uh, but I think it's, you know, probably one of those guys, if you, if you don't want to give it to a quarterback, um, and I'm going to give it to Cooper Cup because I really do think the Rams would be not even close to the same team if they did not have Cooper Cup. I love the way he plays. He truly is a quarterback on the offense. And, uh, you know, Taylor ultimately <laughs> did not play well enough against Jacksonville to help lead them to the postseason. Now, I know it's a running back. I know they're ultimately uh, reliant on their surroundings. Um, but as, as Stafford's been up and down all year and Cup's been so crazy and consistent and won the triple crown. He won most receptions, most yards, most touchdowns at receiver. He's been unbelievable all season long. Yeah. My offensive player of the year is Jonathan Taylor. I, I think what he's done at the running back position with a complete bum at quarterback and Carson Wentz, you know, I just got to tip my cap because without Jonathan Taylor, that offense is garbage. The, You're right. Yeah, true. Just nothing there. Jonathan Taylor carried them to a nine and eight record. And when he got stopped, that offense couldn't do anything. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's between those two. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't even mind if they did cope, cope uh, offensive players of the year. Cause I think if those two guys had, were just, were just unbelievable this year. And, you know, there are people out there who have both of them in fantasy. So congrats to them on, a, on, a, on, a, on an incredible year for you. Uh, all right. I think this is where in the comments, I'm mean, going to start making people angry, but uh, defensive player of the year, we already got a couple votes uh, for Nick Bosa, who by all accounts had a great year, a great comeback year, um, but not going to go with Nick Bosa, Matt. Are you going to go with Nick Bosa? I mean, it'd just be a slap in the face to go with anyone other than TJ Watt. Agreed. Yep. I, mean, I, I don't even know really to say about it. You know, 22 and a half sacks impacted every game that he played and he played in 15 games and got 14. pulled. Oh, he, he, he only finished 14, right? Yeah, uh, I think he finished less than 14 or something like that. I don't know, yeah. but he, he was hurt for a, a, a decent chunk of the year. So to me, I give him my defensive player of the year award. Look, you tie the sack record in less games and the amount of times Trahan had it. And then 
Strahan always gets killed for it, but Favre did lay down <laughs> to give him the sack record. And Watt truly earned this. And I thought there were a couple of times where he could have had the record. Uh, I think he got screwed by a couple of different calls. Um, and he should, probably should have the record. So um, it wouldn't shock me if TJ Watt gets some MVP love, because I think if you watch the Steelers and you watch them without him on the field, it is a completely different dynamic. Uh, they don't have to double team him. They don't have to chip him. They don't have to put the attention on that side of the ball that they do. And I think the Steelers defense is not even close to the same unit with him and not out there. So uh, TJ Watt has just been remarkable. Uh, I, I love Aaron Donald. I love Miles Garrett. And honestly, Nick, Nick Bosa, I know our, our <laughs> Our Nick Bosa supporter in the comments is, is upset, but uh, he had a great year too. But TJ Watt far and away had the best year as any defensive player in the entire league. Uh, all right. Rookie time, Matt Bushnell. Offensive rookie of the year. Uh, I think this was a two-person race and one ran away uh, with it literally uh, and as defenders chased him. And that's where we're going to stay. Chase, <laughs> Jamar Chase for the Cincinnati Bengals, I think is by far and away the rookie of the year. I thought Mac Jones had a real chance at certain points of the season. Uh, did not end strong enough for me. Jamar Chase is one of the reasons why the Bengals are so dynamic on offense and are in the postseason today. So I'm going to go Jamar Chase for offensive rookie of the year. Yeah. I mean, he beat the chiefs by himself. <laughs> yeah. 12 receptions, 266 yards, just insanity. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just so hard to go against Jamar Chase at this point. I, I would love to make a case for Mac Jones, but I agree with you. How they finished was two totally different levels, and Jamar yep. Chase finished at a higher level. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, I did predict Jalen Waddell to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I don't think it's that far. I mean, I think he'll probably finish third. He he set their rookie receiving record. He was why the Dolphins' offense was any sort of capable. Uh, I really think Jalen Waddell is going to be really good for a long time. So uh, I, I do uh, like Jalen Waddell a ton, but Jamar Chase, I think, took the Bengals and Joe Burrow to that next level this season. So uh, he, he's a bad man. That's absolutely true. He is a bad man. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. I think this is a much easier decision. Uh, I love Patrick Sertain. I thought he was a great player coming out of the draft. You and I both thought he was the best defensive player in the draft. Uh, and I think he had a great year. Um, but Micah Parsons uh, is an absolute stud. And, and talk about transforming the Bengals offense with Chase. He actually transformed the Cowboys defense to a level that I didn't know it was capable of with Dan Quinn rushing off the edge he is a game disruptor by every sense of that phrase um and i don't know how you could go against micah parsons at this point he's going to get defensive player of the year love as well yeah and i mean micah parsons is the real deal he changes the games in a big way and definitely he gets my defensive rookie of the year to play to be a top 10 inside linebacker and to be a top three edge rusher it's just insanity uh, that guy is good congrats to jerry jones um will mcclay or mckay for seeing it i didn't but they did and they got themselves a hell of a football player i mean what pisses me off is that the giants just didn't take him and they traded out of that pick and also if the giants did take him he would not be this good <laughs> he would not be because they don't have uh the talent around because i mean the cowboys still have good players on the defense i mean we poke fun at Diggs, but he is uh you know their outside corner um it, Demarcus Lawrence is a really good pass rusher. Randy Gregory has been good for them all year. That helps Micah Parsons be as good as he is. So uh, Micah Parsons, by far, defensive rookie of the year. All right, coach of the year. Now, uh, I thought you could have made a case for a few different guys here. Um Towards the end of the year, you know, I was really on the Frank Reich bandwagon. Uh, I really liked that as an option, but... Look, when you look at the AFC and you see somehow the Tennessee Titans are at the top of the AFC, <laughs> I have to go with Mike Vrabel because I don't think the Titans are that good. And he had, has done a remarkable job with them without their most important player for half the season, Derek Henry. So I thought about this, and this actually changed after Sunday night. I, I'm going Rich Basaccia. Oh, love for the Raiders. I What he did amongst all that turmoil – and all those issues was just simply magnificent. Now, it helps when you got Derek Carr, yeah. but you still got to get the team to buy in. You still have to leave from that perspective. And for them to get in the playoffs, you know, c congratulations. Just massive, massive great year for him. I love that pick. I, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I am because I hope he gets the job and he, he deserves it. So um, I love that pick. Now, comeback player of the year. Um, I think there's a, a couple different ways we can go uh, with this. 
Um, but I kind of feel like they're going to favor the quarterback here. So, um, you know, I, I think I predicted Saquon was going to win this. <laughs> I'm very wrong about that. Um, but I think it's Dak Prescott. Uh, he he blew he tore, he broke his ankle early on in the season uh, and missed most of it. I think that's going to eliminate Burrow from this because Burrow played most of last year and only missed the last month. Dak missed much more time. Uh, and he had over 4,000 passing yards this year. I know the Cowboys offense has looked stagnant at times, but uh, Cowboys are America's team. He's their quarterback. They won the division. Uh, and I think they're going to give it to Dak. To me, yeah. I mean, quarterbacks that suffered such a horrific injury on TV, and they showed it a few times, and then once you saw that other angle, they had to stop showing it. And, I mean, it, it's different from an ACL. I, I'm, I'm sorry. When your foot is facing the complete opposite direction of what it's supposed to be facing – I get it. ACLs are big things. I know people say Bosa. You know, if you talk to some Bears fans, they may say Robert Quinn. Um, you know, th- th- there's a bunch of names you can throw out there. But the only name that should get this award, and I, I don't care what anyone says, he deserves it. He earned it. I thought he had a great year. Dak Prescott, absolutely. And I don't. That's not to say Nick Bosa doesn't deserve some love either, because I do think he'll he will get some love too for the comeback player of the year because he obviously got hurt and missed all of last year as well. Um, but I don't think Burrow missed enough time. And maybe if he had gotten hurt earlier in the season, he would have a better case. But like you said, the ACL guys come back from that a lot sooner now. Uh, it's not the uh, career ender that it used to be. So um, I don't think Burrow is going to win. And, and Dax, Dax injury still is like <laughs> scarring, honestly, to watch on TV. Yeah. So the, uh, the inaugural Alex Smith comeback player of the year award <laughs> goes to another NFC East quarterback in Dak Prescott. Uh, so that's it. That's the regular season awards. Um, when they do announce them all, we'll have to talk about it to see how it ended up shaking out. But I, I think I like our picks. I think a lot of the guys that we threw out there and um, we agreed on a, a handful of those are going to end up being the winners. So uh, good on us. I think we did a good job there, man. <laughs> All right, it is time for Super Wild Card Weekend. It is just weird that everything got so pushed back now. So, like, it yeah. it was Super Wild Card Weekend is usually the weekend that just passed, but now it's here. Like, did you realize Super Bowl Sunday is not until February 13th? Like, oh, that's God. so late. That's so crazy to me that it's so late, but uh, it's finally here. And, and this is called Super Wild Card Weekend because we have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. We get a special Monday night football playoff game with the Manning cast. So I'm very much excited for that. So uh, let's get into it. And uh, we're going to start with those games on Saturday. Matt, I'm going to just share my screen so people have something to look at here. All right, do you want to give me the right yeah, to do that? Let me give you some permission here. Yes, please. You know, someone's got to be the adult in the room. Yes, please be the adult. Uh, it's just a graphic that says what the wild card weekend is. So at least they, if they have something to look at other than just our faces. So we're going to start um, with those. Um, uh, the first game of the weekend, Saturday at 430 uh, on NBC. It is the Raiders traveling to Cincinnati to play the Bengals. And the spread of this one opened at four and a half. And it is now at five, Matt Bushnell. So, um, look, I, I know the Raiders kind of uh, snuck in and surprised a ton of people. And the Bengals coasted last week. So, uh, interesting matchup. These two teams did just play a few weeks ago in uh, – did I say Oakland again? Anyway, the, in Vegas. <laughs> so, I'm never going to get used to that. Um, but, nonetheless, another good matchup. I like the fact that it's in Cincy. Uh, and I like the quarterback matchup. So, exciting way to start the wild card weekend. I'm leaning towards taking the Raiders to cover uh, and the Bengals to win, but I don't feel strongly either way. You know, everything points to the Bengals. They have a really good defensive line. They have, you know, a top tier, big time quarterback that wins in all the big moments. They have a stud wide receiver. So everything tells you Bengals. But not so fast, my friends. He's going to do it. (laughs) I'm not jumping off this Raiders train just yet. The Raiders are going to upset the Bengals in the game of the day. They will beat the Cincinnati Bengals 31 to 29. Wow. Could you imagine? Oh, boy. 
Now, th this was always tradition in the Andy Dalton years in Cincinnati where they'd get this first playoff game and they would lose and it would be a big time thing. And it would get, whether, whoever they lost to, it would be the Colts or the Texans or uh, the Steelers one year. I remember <laughs> the Fontes perfect dumb friggin' play that he had the one year when they lost. Um, I think this is different, though. I think Burrow is poised and I think he's here to stay. And unfortunately for the Raiders, this is where the fairy tale run ends. Um, I do like, like I said, the five. I'll take the five points all day long. I think the Raiders cover, um, but I like the Bengals to win. So give me Cincinnati twenty-seven to twenty-four over Vegas, and it's a hell of a run for the Raiders. And unfortunately, I think this is where it ends. All right. Well, I know that's a nice way to start the weekend, right? So let's get cold and let's go to Western New York uh, for, for the third time this year, the Patriots and the Bills uh, take this AFC East rivalry to the next level in the postseason. Um, and it's in, uh, you know, Buffalo. They, uh, you know, they split the season series. Patriots won in Buffalo. Buffalo won in New England. So now this game opened up. I think Bills were favored four, four and a half to open. Now it's – Four. So the public's betting the Pats. Not totally shocked at that. Um, but if you look at the way these two teams finish, and I don't think the Bills have played lights out football by any means, but I don't like what I saw from the Patriots the last couple of weeks. And I kind of just feel like when Buffalo wins, they win big. So I, 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 if it was four and a half, I'd be tempted to take the Pats, but I kind of like the Bills here on the points. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bills and the points. If, if I'm Brian Dayball in this game, I'm going to utilize what worked the last game, and that's Josh Allen's legs. I'm going to let Josh Allen run the hell out of the football and hopefully open things up. I, I, I do like the Bills here, and I do like them big. Look, the first time they played, it was that crazy win game, right? What frustrated me about the Bills is that they didn't run Josh Allen in that game. They they almost refused to, right? They, they just were stubborn, and they were like, we're not running him. We're going to make him throw. And that's all fine and good, but we've seen Josh Allen have these stinker games. You know, he's football stupid. He just is. Um, but he's crazy athletic, absolute rocket for an arm, and what teams don't want him to do is run. In the last few weeks, he has done exactly that, and I think it's killed them. I don't understand the Patriots because, you know, the defense is really good. At least it should be really good, and it hasn't played that well recently. Um, the running game has been inconsistent. The offensive line has been inconsistent. But what you're seeing now is sort of, you know, when the Patriots went on that offseason spending spree, it's sort of catching up to them now where they don't have a ton of talent where like, they can just win the games on their own. Hunter Henry's a nice player. John Smith's a nice player. And uh, Kendrick Bourne and, and Nelson Aguilar are all, like, good pieces. But there's not a number one. Like, Damian Harris is your number one. And he really goes as much as the offensive line goes. And, and Mac Jones clearly, in my opinion, has not been shown that he's trusted by the coaching staff and the rest of the team. Um, I just – I like the Bills more because I think they have more high-end talent, especially at the quarterback position and digs and overall, like the rest of their talent around, I think it's just better than the Patriots. So um, if you're asking me to bet the four number, if I, I wish I had the half, I would have taken the Pats, but give me the Bills 21 to the Patriots 16. I'm going to take the Bills 28 to the Patriots 13. Wow. Wow. Now, this could be a Bill Belichick's an underdog game, and he completely sh shuts down the Bills, and, and Josh Allen gets taken out of it. So, I mean, that's totally possible. Um, they're lucky this game is not on Sunday night because it looks like a big Nor'easter's coming through upstate <laughs> New York. Um, but the weather's still not going to be great. I think it's going, going to be single digits in this game. Uh, windshield not quite as bad as the last time, but going to be frigid for sure. All right, well, that, that's Sunday, Matt Bushnell. So that's a good way to start the weekend. Oh, Saturday, I should say. Sunday. Sunday is three days, three games. This is going to be, and my poor fiance, I tell her, I love you, but, uh, you know, her birthday is Sunday. <laughs> and uh, there's going to be football on TV all day. And uh, if you know anything about my fiance, she doesn't exactly love football. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll work it out. This is what we do. Like, marriage is a compromise. So um, we're going to start off at one o'clock, though. And as you see, it is the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to Tampa Bay to play our most valuable player, Tom Brady and the Bucks. This game opened at eight and a half and it remains at eight and have this is the only game on Fox this weekend, which kind of surprises me. But this, these two teams played already this season. I think it was Thursday night football, and the, and the Bucks handled their business. I think that was the game where they let the Eagles come back and have a backdoor cover. So um, 
the Bucks. I, I don't know if the Bucks truly fear the Eagles. I don't know how much Jalen Hurts, and I, I ultimately I do think the Eagles' offense uh, doesn't exactly strike fear in other teams. Um, but they have veterans on this team. I think if they run the ball strong like they're capable of, that is, you know, their strong suit. Uh, they can make this game interesting. Uh, but if you ask me who I trust and who I believe in more than anyone else in this postseason, uh, it's Tom Brady. So you know, I'm going to bet on Tom Brady more than anyone else until he shows me that I shouldn't. Completely agree in a lot of regards. I'm interested to see what Jalen Hurts does. I think that's something worth keeping an eye on. But the thing here is, do the Eagles have Nick Foles? No, they don't. <laughs> the Bucks are going to win this one. Bucks win big. Give me the Bucks 37 to the Eagles 25. Wow. So, you know, interesting matchup in this one. Um, you have Darius Slay against Mike Evans. Now, you don't have Chris Godwin. You don't have Antonio Brown. I wonder how much that affects the dynamic here because Slay's had a really nice year. But um, what should be noted is that uh, the Bucks are getting big-time reinforcements back. Levante David is expected to make his return in this game, too. And I think we all saw how important he was in the playoffs and against Kelsey in the Super Bowl. He was really the guy who was able to contain him and cover him. And as we know, it's very difficult to do that. So, um, you know, the Bucs are almost full staff now. That that, that, they, that really good linebacker core um, is, is back at full strength. So that only enhances my belief in Tampa Bay even more. Henry in the comments saying Eagles in a massive upset – Look, I don't know if Nick Sirianni is a good coach. <laughs> I kind of feel like the Eagles have had a nice stretch of games to get them to this point. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel like, hey, it's a nice story that you're rebuilding and you made the playoffs while you're rebuilding. Um, but I do think it comes to an end here. Um, give me Tampa. I'll say 30 to 20. I'll give, I'll give Philly 20 in a hard-fought battle. But give me Arians. Give me Brady all day over this young team. I think they just have their way. So, one o'clock game. Out of the way on Sunday. now. What, for my money, the matchup of the weekend is this one. These are two classic uh, franchises in the NFL, a classic NFC East rivalry from times of the past. Um, I, I can't wait for this uniform matchup. It's going to be all-time stuff. This is going to bring back memories for so many old people older than me. Uh, but it is the San Francisco 49ers traveling to Jerry World to play the Dallas Cowboys. This opened up at minus three. It remains at minus three. I think that's a perfect line uh, for this. Uh, the Cowboys favored by three. This is essentially is, if this is a neutral side, it'd be a pick em. And I agree with that because – yeah, the Cowboys killed Washington. Yeah, the Cowboys killed the Eagles backups. And yes, they killed the Giants. Like, okay, pat on the back, you beat the NFC East. I'm not that impressed. <laughs> I, I wanted the Cowboys to look better coming into the postseason than they have. The Niners, um, Jimmy's hurt. Uh, they had a massive comeback against the Rams to make the playoffs. I thought that was a big confidence boost. These two teams, I think, are pretty even. Uh, I, I think the edge to me, it uh, goes to the Cowboy quarterback and it goes to the Cowboy defense slightly. So by that logic for me, uh, Cowboys being at home, I do like them. But that said, I do need to point this out. Mike McCarthy is still the Cowboys head coach and the Cowboys historically will lose games like this, especially in my lifetime and especially in the last 25 years. So absolutely would not shock me if the Cowboys lay an egg for all of Nickelodeon to see. <laughs> So, Randy, who has a Super Bowl ring in this matchup of head coaches? Uh, Mike McCarthy does. Who? What, what head coach doesn't? That'd be Kyle Shanahan. Yes. So, to me, you know, I, I, I don't like getting any particulars here, but who's been here before? I could make an argument that Shanahan is equally responsible for his Super Bowl loss as an offensive coordinator in Atlanta and his Super Bowl loss in Super Bowl, what was it, 55, 54? Um, I'm losing track of my Super Bowls here. That was 54. Okay. So, look, I'm not putting anything past these coaches. I think both of them make mistakes. Um, I question some game plans here and there. But to me... I love what I saw of Cedric Wilson. I love what I see out of C.D. Lamb. I love what I see out of Amari Cooper. Tony Pollard's going to be healthy. Zeke should be healthy. The, the Cowboys' offensive line is perfectly built to stop the 49ers' defensive line. 
So it's like every strength that the 49ers have, the Cowboys have something to negate that with. <laughs> to me, that's what gives them the edge. I, I think this is going to be a great game, a matchup of the weekend. I completely agree. The spread it sits perfectly with me. <clears throat> I think the 49ers cover, but I don't think they win. I'm going to take Dallas here, 28 to 27. It gives me game of the weekend vibes, absolutely, and I'm hoping for that. Um, you know, I think some of the strengths of the Niners are bad matchups um, for the Cowboys. Like, how are they going to cover Kittle? If, if the Niners show up and they say, we're taking this game seriously, <laughs> we want to get Kittle involved, I think it's a huge matchup nightmare um, for Dallas because how do you cover him? Uh, Van Der Esch cannot cover him. I, I, Parsons, I don't know. I haven't seen much of his coverage skills. I also think it's a waste to put him in coverage. takes away his biggest strengths. Um, now, Diggs, Diggs is going to have a day with Debo. I think Debo is going to give him hell because that's what Debo does. He gets a ton of yak and, and Diggs gives up to the yard. And I, you can say whatever you want. It's been a big conversation in our group, but he does. So I want to see that matchup. But Dallas on the other side of the ball, can the Niners secondary stay in front of all those weapons that you just mentioned? Cooper, Lamb, Schultz. I mean, Schultz has really played well the last few weeks. Yep. Um, and, you know, with Gallup out, I still feel like the Cowboys have a ton of weapons to work with here. Uh, Henry in the comments saying Trent Williams is playing. That's a huge thing for them as well. Um, their offensive line for the Niners is great, obviously. That's why they run the ball so well with Mitchell. But the Cowboys' D-line is no slouch. I need people to realize this. <laughs> it's not just Parsons. It's Demarcus Lawrence. It's Randy Gregory. Uh, I can't pronounce the other guy's name who plays tackle, but he's a big dude that just sits in there too. Um, the Cowboys have a ton of talent all over the place. I can't help but to, I don't trust either of these teams. Also, it's what this comes down to is I don't trust either of them, <laughs> but I do think they're both crazy talented. Um, and I, I just find that logic. I'm just going to go with the home team because, look, Jimmy G, he's hurt still. Mm. I think he had his moment against the Rams. I do think they kind of sneakily just own the Rams at the same time. I don't think it's the same vibe here. So I am going to take the Cowboys in a close game, similar to what you said, but I'm going to make it more defensive. I'll say Dallas 23 to the Niners, 21. Maybe it's a last-second Greg Zerline field goal for the win for Dallas, and then Jerry Jones is freaking out. Uh, that's kind of how I envision this going. So, Yeah, I, I agree. And keep, keep in mind, you have the NFL interception leader going against a guy who throws interceptions that are that very bad decisions. So um, I don't know what the over-under is for Diggs' interceptions this game. If it sits at a half – I would bet the over. I would hammer the over. I don't know. I don't even know if I could find that for you, but I'll try. Um, but if it's a half, yeah. I, I mean, they're asking people to bet on that for sure. Uh, but this is the Nickelodeon game. Quick prediction for the MVP, which is currently the only winner of that. You know who the winner is, right? <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky is currently the only player to ever win the Nickelodeon Valuable Player. Who is going to be the second ever Nickelodeon Valuable Player? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Zeke here. I, I think Zeke gets it. Okay. Here's what I know about this award. It's a fan voted award, heavily influenced by social media. The reason Mitch Trubisky won last year is because the Barstool guys, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Bar a big cat, big time Chicago fan, told everyone as a joke to vote for Mitch Trubisky, and they did. Um, this time around, they are legit friends with uh, George Kittle, <laughs> and he's very popular. I do think he's a good guy, very uh, exciting and uh, good personality, and I think he'll eat it up. And if I can envision anyone getting slimed, even in a loss, I could see it being George Kittle. So I will. my bet is that number 85 wins the MVP and the Nickelodeon valuable player. And uh, I'm not going to watch it on Nickelodeon this time. Last year I did. I entertained it because it was kind of a bad game, the Bears and the Saints. This one getting my full attention on CBS. All right, let's wrap up Sunday, Matt Bushnell. And not the game of the weekend by any means. And I think when I look at the wild card weekend, I try to identify the weak link. And I try to figure out, well, what am I going to bet on? Especially now with legal gambling here in New York. Um, and my target is here with the Chiefs against the Steelers on Sunday Night Football on NBC. Um, look, this game happened two, two three weeks ago. And this, the Chiefs won 36-10. to 10, And Kelsey didn't play. And Hill was limited. And the Chiefs had no issues. Now, I know it's hard to beat a team twice but the, the Steelers are just not that team. Big Ben, not that guy anymore. It's a good story. You know, he's still alive, but I think this is going to be the game. That's the last game of this, his career. Um, this opened up at, at 12 and a half, and it's still at 12 and a half. And the Steelers, 
I don't care that you beat the Rams. I don't care that you barely beat the Ravens. They haven't shown me anything that shows me that they can hang the Chiefs. So I like the Chiefs and I like them big. Uh, <clears throat> this one's a little tough for me because I think at the end of the day, teams can play inspired football and, you know, spotting Mike Tomlin 12 and a half points is a little much for me. Um, I, I believe in Tomlin. I believe in backdoor covers. I, you know, the Steelers do things that don't make much sense, like get down big and then Montefiore's comeback in the second half. And, and the Chiefs have been known to kind of sleepwalk in the second half a little bit this year or sleepwalk in the first half. So I, I still don't think we've seen a full 60 minutes from the Chiefs. Um, but I, the Chiefs win this game, but I think the Steelers cover. I, I just got that sneaking feeling that we're going to get hit with a backdoor cover by the Steelers. That'll be the Big Ben Swan song. It's a backdoor cover. <laughs> <laughs> Hall of Fame career is how he is. It's a backdoor cover. I mean, the um, most appropriate of appropriate endings for that guy. Uh, in the comments, Jacob, hey, yo. <laughs> I guess that deserves right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then I agree with Henry. This is going to be the least entertaining game of the weekend. So I was trying to identify which game was going to be my same game parlay. And it's hundred percent going to be this one. I'm going to take the Mahomes passing yards. I'm going to take uh, the Kelsey anytime touchdown. I'm going to take the chiefs uh, in the spread. Um, I might even take the chiefs money line. I, uh, whatever is more valuable, probably the spread, but regardless, I'm all over the chiefs. I want no part of the Steelers. And uh, I might even take Big Ben under passing yards. That's just how little faith I have in him at this point. And I'm just over the Steelers. I'm pissed I even have to watch them. I'm never going to forgive the Chargers for everything that they did. We could have Justin Herbert instead, but no, we have to watch Big Ben one more time. So give me the, the Chiefs. I'm going to say 34 to 16 uh, over, over the Steelers. And, that, you know, this is going to be the game everyone falls asleep to. And <laughs> I hope, you know, everyone has Monday off with Martin Luther King Day and everyone's going to stay up excited to watch football. And it's just going to be you know screw big men i'm taking a nap uh all right you know in years past that would be the end of the weekend and you're like oh damn now we gotta wait till next weekend to watch football not so fast the football gods blessed us with a monday night football playoff matchup here and it is a third time's the charm again and it is the arizona cardinals going to los angeles to play the rams um, you know, we've seen this twice already. I believe the Rams won both of these games. Um, and the Cardinals were the last, and we know they were the last undefeated team and the, and the Rams have been up and down all year. Uh, and Stafford, you can't really love the way he ended his season. Uh, but I don't love the way the Cardinals ended their season either. So, uh, I guess I'll t- take the team that won with all these other two matchups. <laughs> But Matt Bush, and it's important to know, I guess J.J. Watt's coming back for this game, so that could give a boost to the Cardinals. I don't know if James Conner is going to play. That would be a huge boost for the Cardinals as well. But, um, you know, the Rams are all in on this now. They have overpaid a ton of guys. They have a ton of veterans on this team um, with, with Stafford. They are in a window where they need to make a run, or this has been a colossal disaster of, of an operation for the Rams. I think they're going to win because they kind of have no choice. Um, the Rams opened up at three and a half, and it still sits at three and a half. Uh, and like I said, 8.15 on ESPN for Monday Night Football. If the Cardinals had DeAndre Hopkins, I'd take the Cardinals to win this game. Good point. The fact is they don't. And I, I don't like their wide receivers against Jalen Ramsey. So to me, th- th- this game has a vibes of being a really good one. But I, I just like the Rams and the points here. I, I think, you know, the spread is appropriate. Yeah. And I'm going to take the Rams 28 to the Cardinals 20. At some point, Cliff Kingsbury has to show us that we need to trust him. And he has yet to do that, right? I mean, he, you know, he starts off hot. He does this every year. He starts off hot and then he fizzles out. Kyler gets hurt. He fizzles out. It's just a thing that happens seemingly every year with Cliff Kingsbury going back to his college days. This is just what he does. And until he shows me he can win a big game in the playoffs, then, you know, I'm not going to really trust him to do so. Um, I know McVay hasn't gotten the job done and won a Super Bowl, but at least he's gotten the one. I feel like in the playoffs, he's won games that we haven't expected him to win. Even last year, uh, he went into Seattle and won the playoff game and we didn't expect him to. So I think McVay is going to be in a situation where he's going to handle his business here. 
And uh, I, I need Stafford to play a clean one. If, if Stafford plays a clean one and the Rams look pretty fluent on offense, I'm going to feel better about them going forward in the next round. Um, but for now, I just I just need to see it. So uh, I do like them to win, and I like them to cover. I like your score of 28 to 20, but I'm going to go uh, 31 to 24 uh, over the Cardinals. It'll be a little bit of fireworks here. I expect Kyler to have a decent game, but overall, uh, the Rams just get the job done again. And I expect Donald and, and Von Miller and Ramsey to, you know, be the dominant players that they are and, and be good enough to win this one. Yeah, I don't know. Good way to wrap up the weekend. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think, you know, it just makes a lot of sense for that to end that way. I need the stars to be stars. <laughs> I, I need those guys to step up and be the reason why they win. Uh, I'm sick of bums being the reason why other teams win. So um, I could slowly imagine it being the Rams. All of a sudden we're looking at them in the NFC title game. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But, you know, if they look good in the, in the wild card game on Monday, um, my, my attitude with them will shift big time. All right. So this show, uh, one we were really looking forward to, glad we got this out of the way. I'm glad you fought through the Rona for the audience, Matt. Now, I'm not going to ask you to tease all the shows. I will handle that today because I have full strength. Um, but is there anything you'd like to say before I get into the teases? Uh, no, just um, watch out for a very special episode on Monday of The Step Back with Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses. Oh, are, are they getting a special guest? I don't know. I cannot confirm or deny anything. Look, this is why we pay you the big bucks, my friend. I mean, the Bulls are in first place and you're at the Rona and you're pulling triple duty with, with the virus. You know, this is, you know, this is your flu game, baby. This is an honor of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. This is it. This, this is what Hall of Fames are made of. This, this is what careers are made of right here. The toughness and the grit. So shout out to you, my friend. Like like he said, Monday over in basketball life, the step back, Matt Bushnell, maybe, maybe, maybe going to be a special guest with uh, Jacob and Leon over there. It's a great show. Basketball is, you know, buzzing right now. Clay Thompson coming back. The Knicks just made a trade. We're getting to the point of the season where we're approaching the trade deadline and we're approaching All-Star next month. So the NBA is just flying by. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And then Sunday, uh, we have Felipe with the uh, Total Bases podcast with Austin. I mean, those guys always talk fantasy baseball and, and baseball met today and they didn't make any progress. But yeah, here comes Felipe still bringing the content for you. That's the kind of dedication we have here uh, on our platform. So be on the lookout for that. And then after you're done watching Wild Card Weekend, after you're done watching Monday Night Football late on Monday, come wake up and watch us here on Tuesday, uh, noon Eastern. We're going to break down all the action from Wild Card Weekend. And you know, we're going to talk touch on GM hires if there are any head coach hires if there are any uh you know how we do we just we get it all done so enjoy the weekend of football because it's going to be a good one I personally can't wait if you live in the north uh the northeast uh brace yourself because we're getting it <laughs> the snow is coming uh and you know it's January so how can you really be that surprised uh, but Matt Bushnell do you have any parting words for the audience I know your voice is hanging on by a thread but is there any last words you would like to say drink lots of water protect yourself Make sure you shower, all that stuff. Make sure you take care of yourself. Because I tell you what, with the Rona, it's not the most pleasant experience. But if you take care of yourself, you drink plenty of water, you should be able to make it through. Take some Tylenol too. Maybe if you have a headache, you can make that go away as well. So that's it. Yeah. Good advice. Always, uh, always stay hydrated out there, regardless if you have the Rona or not. Very important advice there. Um, so thank you to everyone who is uh, participating on the Facebook live stream. We greatly appreciate all the comments, all the interaction. I think it elevates our show every time. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, we greatly appreciate that as well. And if you're just wanting to hang out and listen to our voices and listen to Matt uh, power through with his voice, we greatly appreciate you taking us on with the audio only platform. So uh, on behalf of Matt Bushnell and injured Matt Bushnell, the flu game of flu games, I'm Randy Hammond saying enjoy super wild card weekend and shout out to Justin Tuck. We'll see you here on Tuesday.